When we open our Bibles, we uh, find it in two sections. We have a larger section and a shorter section. And we call them the Old, what? Old Testament and the New Testament. That word testament is actually the word covenant. And uh, it's translated covenant in most places. In fact, in almost all places in the New Testament, that very word is translated covenant. So we have an old covenant, 39 books that tell us about an old covenant, and uh, with a promise of a coming new covenant. And then we have 27 books uh, in the last part of our Bible that tell us about that new covenant. And today, I want to read a lot of scripture to you. In fact, I'm not even going to preach much today. I'm just going to read to you today. But I think sometimes that might be what we need more than uh, my ideas on something is just to hear what God has to say about it. Let me just say that the idea of covenant is a, a covenant is an agreement. It's a, an arrangement of a agreement, a contract, you might say. Uh, the way we use it mostly today is about marriage. Uh, marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman as they enter into this agreement to, uh, to do certain things for and to one another for the rest of their life. So it's a covenant that uh, when I marry couples, I talk to them ahead of time and explain to them that they're not entering into a contract, they're entering into a covenant. And the covenant in which one party says, I will do certain things, and the other party says, and I will do certain things. So they both say, I will love you and cherish you and treasure you and so forth as long as both of us are living. Now, we know that in uh, marriage covenants today, many times they do not last in, in our uh, culture, in our society, and in our humanity. And uh, the covenants that God made in the old covenant were not fully effective either. And so the very first time the word covenant is used in the Bible is a covenant that God made with Noah. God created a perfect world, and he gave Adam and Eve the responsibility of uh, stewarding that world, taking care of it, and following his uh, uh, commands. And he gave them one restriction, just said, uh, there's one tree in the midst of the garden that I've planted, you're to, to not eat of that tree it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil we might think of it as the tree of independence from God the tree that would declare that I have the right to decide what's good and what's evil and I don't need God to make that decision for me and so they ate of that tree and of course uh, the first 11 chapters of the of the book of Genesis tells how the, everything spirals downward as a result of that sin. And I mean immediately there was shame and there was guilt and there was fear and then there was, was murder and then there was all kinds of division and anger and everything that resulted when man decides I'm going to run the show and I'm not going to let God run the show, man runs it invariably into the ground. And so uh, uh, 
things got so bad. The Bible says that the, uh, well, there were a lot of things in those first six chapters of Genesis that talks about just how bad things got. But it got so bad that the Bible says that the, the thoughts of man's heart and mind was only evil continually. Now that's about as bad as you can get. I mean, things just went so from perfect harmony to absolute chaos in uh, six chapters in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? Well, that's the way sin works. It always takes us further than we want to go, keeps us longer than we want to stay, and costs us more than we want to pay. That's the way sin works. So God, in great grief and sadness, not as much in anger as in sadness, he said, I'm going to wash the world and start fresh. And so he sent a flood, a worldwide flood, and all life on earth in the animal kingdom and in the human kingdom all perished with the exception of one family. And God had instructed Noah to build an ark. It took 120 years to build it. He and his sons and perhaps other workers that they may have employed, I don't know, but they made this ark. And then God said, now come into the ark, which lets us know where God was. He was already in the ark. And he said, come into the ark. And then he shut the door and... It rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and the flood, the waters, were on the earth for a year, for a year. They lived in that ark, and the Bible says that all flesh in which was the breath of life perished on the earth. And then God uh, caused the ark to come to rest on a mountain, and... Uh, after a few more days, they went out, and we think, this is great. Brand new start. Happy new year. Happy new world. And you think everything's going to be great this time. I mean, uh, and God uh, makes a covenant. God, it says in Genesis chapter 9, Verses 8 through 17. Then God said to Noah and to his sons who were with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I will establish my covenant with you that never again will all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you <clears throat> for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant 
that is between me and you and every living creature in all flesh. And the water shall never again come a flood to destroy all flesh. Now, there have been some floods, been some flooding. Uh, I know the Zavala's parents had flooding, but it didn't cover the whole earth. And, uh, and when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So the first covenant God made with Noah and mankind, and basically the covenant was this, I'm not going to destroy the earth by flood anymore. That was the covenant. That was God's agreement. And what did he ask of Noah? Not one thing. He just said, I'm making this as a unilateral covenant. I'm making you a promise. I'm just asking you to, uh, to trust me, love me, live for me. Now, the sad fact is that almost immediately we're plunged into sin again. The very first thing that happens, Noah, the Bible says, planted a vineyard and raised fermented uh, wine and he, and, he, and he got plastered. He just got silly drunk. And he goes into his tent and then some weird kind of thing happens with one of his sons in the tent. We don't know exactly what all that means, but it was bad. And, uh, and the, the whole process starts all over again. Spirals downward, 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 downward. Finally, we come to chapter 10 and population has grown again the people decide that they're going to build a tower in which they will be the boss again we will reach to the heavens they said and so uh, and then God confounds their languages he scatters them and they go out and form the many different nations of the world and that's the way Genesis chapter 1 through 11 end. And then chapter 12, which is kind of the beginning of a whole new start. God calls a man named Abram. Later he's called Abraham. And God basically says to Abram, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to Make a mighty nation out of you. And through you and through your descendants, and especially through one of your descendants, I'm going to bless the whole world. And all the nations of the world, these that I've scattered, I'm going to use this descendant of yours, this seed of yours, as a means whereby all of those nations can be regathered into a new family and, and someday that which I initially determined, paradise, through that man and through this agreement I'm making with you, the blessing 
that I initially planned is going to come. And so we, uh, we read about that covenant in Genesis chapter 15, verses 17 through 18. Kind of a st- strange picture here. God has made this covenant with, with uh, Abraham. And, uh, and the way he confirms it, he says, when the sun had gone down, Oh, by the way, just, even just prior to that, God told Abraham to take uh, some bulls and some goats. In fact, go back a few verses, uh, see if we can find that where he tells him exactly what to do with it. Back about chapter 15, verse uh, even before that. There we go. He said, bring me a heifer three years old and a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon and he brought him all these and he cut them in half and he laid one half over here and one half over against the other he did not cut the birds in half he must have put one of them over here and the other one over here and when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses Abram drove them away and as the sun was going down A deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And as for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot, and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. We will stop with that. This is a covenant that God made with Abraham. And he says, He has said to Abraham already, that I'm giving you a land, and this land will be yours perpetually, and your descendants, it will belong to you. And I'm telling you, even today, I want you to know that the land of Israel belongs to the descendants of Abraham. And uh, many of them are there, and many more of them will be there. And they are hated and despised for being there. But God says, this is my covenant that I've made with you. And all he asked Abram to do was just trust him. And the Bible says, and Abram believed God. And God counted it to him for righteousness. God says, here, I'm making you this promise. And all I'm asking you to do is just believe me. Just believe me. But I want you to know Abram was not righteous. <laughs> he, God counted it to him for righteousness, 
But he was, he failed in so many, many ways. He was a liar. He was uh, 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 dishonest in many ways. He failed. But God kept his end of the covenant, even if Abraham didn't keep his end of the covenant. And then we come uh, to where God enters into another covenant, this time with Abraham's descendants at Sinai. They did spend 400 years in a land just like God told Abraham they would. They were uh, severely treated, mistreated, and God did bring them out. In other words, God kept his part of the deal, and he he brought them out, and he brought them to the mountain of Sinai, and there he makes another covenant with them. And uh, I'm going to... I've already talked way too much. I'm, 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 I can't get finished this morning. Uh, but he entered into a covenant with the people of Israel. And that's when the Bible talks about the old covenant. It's really that covenant. And he basically said to them, I'm giving you these laws, Ten Commandments plus other laws. And if you will keep these commandments, and if you will obey me, if you will do what I tell you to do, then I will bless you and I will keep you in the land. But if you break your part of the covenant, then I will discipline you, even to the point of driving you out of the land. But he said, I won't leave you out of the land. There will come a day I'll bring you back to the land. Of course, that's the message of the prophets. And so they they did violate the covenant. And in five... 86 B.C., they were conquered by the Babylonians. 721, uh, 10 of the tribes were conquered by the Assyrians, and then in 586, Judah was conquered, and they were dispersed. And uh, it looked like that might have been the end, but God brought them back after 70 years. God brought them back into the land, just like he promised that he would. And they were in the land until 70 A.D., and then they were dispersed again. And everybody thought that is absolutely the end of Israel. That's the end of the Jewish people. By the way, Napoleon was asked one time, do you have any proof that there is a God And he pointed to a Jewish man. And he said, yes, there's the proof. The Jew that has existed all these years with everybody against them. And yet they continue to this very day. That's my proof of God. Well, that is one proof. There are many other proofs of God. But uh, that was the covenant that God made with the Jewish people. But they violated the covenant. They broke it, and, uh, and, and they suffered as a result of it. In Jeremiah chapter 31, and there was another covenant, by the way, a covenant made with David, but I'm going to have to skip over that one right now. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, 
when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. In other words, I kept my part of the of the covenant. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin no more. He said, there is a day coming when I'm going to do something to establish a new covenant, and it will be a covenant that will uh, forgive sin. It will be a covenant really not with people. It's going to be a covenant between God the Father and God the Son. And that covenant is going to be established in a blood sacrifice. But it won't be the blood of animals. It will actually be God's own blood. And he will establish an everlasting covenant with a people that the Father has given to the Son, that the Son purchases and redeems with his own blood, And that the Spirit of God will inhabit and live in them and write that covenant on the heart of those. That's the new covenant. And that's the covenant that we celebrate today with this uh, bread and this cup. And I want you to look at uh, the book of Hebrews today. My goodness, it's just hard to know where to stop reading in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Let's look at uh, Hebrews chapter 8. And we'll look at verse 7, verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is based on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each 
one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and will remember their sins no more. Now he's just quoting Jeremiah here. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And then in the, let's go on to chapter 9 and uh, begin with verse 11. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent or tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Of the priests in the old under the old covenant, they had to go in daily and yearly, and they could never finish the work of dealing with sin. But he said, uh, and they always took the blood of bulls and goats and things like that. And then verse 13 says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, that's the way people were purified externally, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will it purify our conscience from dead works in order to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. That makes sense? He says, all the sins that people have done is because they're breaking the laws of God. But he said, this blood of Christ, this death of Christ, will redeem those from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes place only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. And of course, lots of blood in establishing the other covenants. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with blood the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law... Almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 
Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. He said the things here on earth, the tabernacle, all that was just a a, a shadow. (coughs) It was a copy of the real. And he said while the, the copy had to be purified with the blood of animals, the real had to have a better blood. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood that is not his own blood. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now I realize I could preach a whole bunch of sermons. You could too, Brother John, couldn't you, on, on these passages that I've read. But sometimes it's good for us to see the forest and not just individual trees. But what he's saying is that God has established a better covenant through a better sacrifice with a better blood, based on better promises, to secure for himself a covenant people. And this is what Jesus was talking about when he gathered with his disciples, that Passover, last Passover that they shared together. And as they ate their Passover meal, Jesus took bread and he broke it. This was something that all of these men had done repeatedly for all their life. But as he broke this bread, he says, uh, this is different tonight. This bread represents my body. And I am going to be broken. My body is going to be broken for you. And then after the meal, he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and told them to drink of it. Listen, he says, this is my blood. And it is the blood of the new covenant that I'm establishing. And all this is written in Hebrews and all is written in the prophets and all that's written in the law was all fulfilled by the willing, effective sacrifice of Jesus. When on the cross, his body was crucified, broken, and his blood was poured out. 
but not just the blood that was shed on the cross, but in some marvelous, mysterious way, the Bible says that Jesus entered into the holy of holies in heaven, and there, not with the blood of animals, but with his own blood, he poured it out to make eternal redemption for those who trust him. So what does God ask of us? His part of the covenant is that he suffers and he dies and he purchases his people. So what is our part? The Bible says this is the will of God, that you believe in him and in the one whom he sent. Our part is to believe. And that belief is demonstrated by a life that is radically impacted by that belief. And I'll just kind of go out on a limb here and say this, that when somebody says they believe in Jesus, but they are living an ungodly life, they don't really believe in Jesus. They're just talking. They're just saying. They have saying faith, not saving faith. But when we believe that Christ died for us, that faith radically affects our life. It changes the way we think about everything. It changes the way we think about sin. It changes the way we think about grace. It changes the way we think about choices that we make. Now, I'm not saying that it makes us perfect. It does make us perfect in God's eyes. It perfects once and for all those who trust in him and those who are being sanctified. But I'm saying that it does make us new, and it gives us, as Jeremiah said, the law of God written on our heart. It's no longer just an external list that we try to live by. It is now an internal drive that pushes us to glorify God and to magnify Christ. Now, how do you, how do you get in on that kind of covenant? It's a great covenant, isn't it? It's an eternal covenant. It means you're given eternal life. It means that you have the eternal God who secures you by his eternal spirit forever, forever. How do you get in on that? What must I do to be saved? And the answer is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ you'll be saved believe and again it's belief that is belief it is believing in a, such a way that it changes the direction of our life gives us a new heart with God's laws written on it and that's what I would encourage you challenge you and call you to do today Put your trust in Jesus. 
And as you do that, when we take these elements in a few minutes, you're able to say, this is the representation of the body of Jesus that was crucified for my sin. And this is the representation of the blood of the eternal covenant that was poured out willingly, even joyfully, by Jesus to atone for my sins, to redeem me, and to establish the covenant that I enjoy. I want us to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the new covenant. I thank you that you have given us so much more information about it than I've mentioned this morning. But it's a covenant that you have made, an eternal covenant that you have made within the triune Godhead that your people, those who trust you, those who believe you, those who love you, have been purchased and cleansed and made new by the sacrifice of Jesus. And I pray for those here today who maybe have never really put their trust in you, that they would do it today. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.